Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. are excited to share with you this month's special offer in the Chosen People Ministries online store. When you purchase the people, the land, and the future of Israel, you will receive a free Pray for Israel wristband. This great combination will enhance your biblical understanding on the future of Israel and serve as a reminder to pray for this nation. Simply go to ourhopepodcast.com forward slash Israel special. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. One of the greatest gifts God has given us is freedom through His Son, Yeshua. For those who have been set free from addiction, that freedom is priceless, and they are quick to tell others about how God has released them from the bonds of shame and hopelessness. On today's episode of Our Hope, we are sharing three stories from Jewish people who were able to overcome addiction through Yeshua. Please note that some of these stories might be too intense for younger listeners, so we advise you to use your discretion in listening to this episode. We hope that as you listen, God will show you His redemptive power at work in each person's life. The first story we will share is Victoria's. Victoria grew up in a non-religious Jewish household. As an adult, Victoria felt like her life became a never-ending cycle of work and sleep, and she began to chase away her depression with alcohol. When she decided it was time to quit, Victoria soon had an even bigger problem on her hands. But it was not too long before God would step in and save her life. Listen to her story. My dad uh, is a Jew, but he is... Uh, an atheist. Back in Russia, it w there was a statement like religion is the opium for masses. Any topic of religion was not welcome in our home. I was working in construction and design firms and it was just like job and sleep, job and sleep. It started weighing me down. And then I just turned to alcohol. After work, I came home and just like was looking for the bottom of that bottle. 
And every bottle that I finished, I was sinking deeper and deeper. It opened a fountain of darkness, bigger, deeper, darker. Uh, I didn't see any, any solution for my problem. I just quit my job and I started drinking for a whole week without stopping. I still remember that darkness, that emptiness. And it was the bottom of my bottom. How did I get here? And how can I get out? On my kitchen table, I saw a chicken soup and a rose. And I knew that was my sister that came by. She probably wanted to talk to me. But I was asleep, drunk, deaf, and I just broke down, broke down crying. And I decided to stop drinking. I started hearing voices after I stopped drinking. It was just like constant, constant, constant. They couldn't leave me alone. They were talking about killing. Uh, they were talking about like they're going to put my family in danger. I was afraid that I was turning crazy. I made a decision and went with my sister to this group. When I met with a person, she shared her story, I shared my story. And she asked me if I would want to say a prayer. And I agreed. From the moment when I said the name, Yeshua, and I confessed my sins, all the voices disappeared. All the weight that I've been carrying in my heart and in my soul just lifted away. From that point on, I knew that there is hope and it's a start of the healing process that I was trying to cover up all my previous life. Before Yeshua, I was very sad, depressed, drowning in my sorrows and pains. After Yeshua, he opened my heart to let people in, to share with people this life, to participate in this life actively because that's yours. You have to live it, not just sit back in the director's chair and just see it walking by. For me, Yeshua is everything. He's the miracle worker because I see miracles in my life every day. People ask me, are you happy? I say, yes, because I am. Victoria's sister played an important role in her recovery. For Steve Fenchel, it was two friends who used to use drugs with him. Steve's story began with a tragic loss during his childhood, and his journey to faith had many bumps in the road. But God was watching him all along. Listen to his story. 
I started drinking when I was in the eighth grade. And I got into the wrong crowd, as they say. I smoked a bunch of dope, people fighting in the streets and craziness, gangs in Brooklyn. I stole money from my mother. Ended up in jail in New Orleans. Y'all from Greenwich Village, boy? Started hallucinating. Amphetamines, LSD, my mind started going cuckoo. I just lost it completely. About the time that I was, I guess, around seven years old, um, my father got, started getting very ill. He'd be home for a while, he'd be in a hospital for a while. This went on for about two years. Then all of a sudden he was gone. I was devastated by his death. I think of it as being like a, a stabbing wound right in my heart. I had a huge personality change after my father died. I became like the, uh, the neighborhood bully. I can remember when the change actually happened, where somebody was pushing my brother, and normally I would have just let it happen or whatever, but I just went into a rage, and I just really beat this kid up crazy. Like I wanted to be a tough guy, and to me, Jewish kids were more like accountants than tough guys, and I wanted to run, I guess, as far away from my Jewish identity as I possibly could. By the time I was going into high school, I started getting into uh, gangs in Brooklyn, and I was drinking and using drugs, and um, very angry, and I had a nervous breakdown. I was using um, amphetamines very heavily. I started hallucinating, and I ended up locking myself in a room. I stayed in that room for almost two years. I saw my father, and he was all glowing and dressed in white. I can remember him saying to me, come with me, and I'm gonna take you to see my God. I just felt filthy. I said, I can't go to see God. I can't go with you. I just could literally feel myself pushing the vision away, pushing God away, saying, go away, I am not ready, I can't go with you. And the instant that I did that, everything changed. I was freezing cold, I was catapulting downward, like going down into this abyss. I had a feeling that I was surrounded by demons, by godless things. I was falling endlessly, and I was being swept into a place that I didn't even know existed, which felt to me like hell. The people who I had originally did drugs with and tripped with, they had two little girls, and I used to sleep on their couch, and the little girls used to come and wake me up in the morning, and they had me read to them from Narnia, I thought that, that C.S. Lewis was a hippie like me living in Berkeley. I saw this, this, this guy is just too far out. And I fell in love with, with Aslan, and I fell in love with Narnia. A couple of weeks after that, or right around this period of time, I think it was probably late March, cold, nasty, kind of semi-rainy night, I was accosted, basically, by a lady on the street. She had a hood on and a cloak. And she was just looking at me and she kept saying, did you know that Jesus loves you? I'm in my wonderful peacock 
hippie colors and rainbow stuff and I got my tie-dye stuff on my bands and all this kind of stuff and she's in gray and a cloak and stuff I said what do I want to have to do anything with her religion and her Jesus but when she looked at me and said Jesus loves you something struck me this is what I'm looking for it was real I felt and experienced in her eyes the love of Jesus and she handed me this little paper with some writing on it, trifle paper, they call it a tract, and what it was. And in that tract, there was quotes from C.S. Lewis, who I didn't even know was a Christian. And then I got a call from those two people who I originally did my first LSD experience with, and um, they were husband and wife, they were the, the parents of those two little girls I read Narnia with, and they said, Steve, we found him. He can accept you. He loves you. He died for you. They basically told me the gospel on the phone. I knew what they were telling me was the truth. I just sensed it. This was where my whole trip, my whole search was leading. So I hung up the phone and I wanted to pray. I didn't, I'd never prayed before in my life, but I really wanted to pray. I wanted to say basically the words that they told me to say. Lord, I believe you are who these people are telling me you are. I believe you are my Lord, and I ask you, Lord, to come into my life, to forgive my sins, take over my life, and bring me into your kingdom. Amen. I'd always felt like I carried around a burden. I was always drawn to the blues, to sad things, to dark poetry. I felt lighter, and freer after I asked Jesus to come into my life. The drugs that I did was really as a, as a way for me to escape that burden of, of depression which I carried. I physically felt different. I consider myself today to be a Jew, a Jew who has found his Messiah. He was sent for us and my search ended for my father when I found him. Steve went on to become a Messianic leader at Sha'ar Adonai Congregation in New York City. On June 10, 2018, he went home to be with Yeshua, but his memory continues to be a blessing to all who knew him. Like Steve, Doug and Miriam also became involved with drugs during the late 1960s. But when Doug began to search the scriptures for his Messiah, Miriam decided to go in the opposite direction, the occult. Listen to hear how God redeemed this couple during their lowest point. When I was about 12, my parents moved to a section of the Bronx, and I had this grandmother who had this thick Poland accent that when she spoke English, she spoke a lot like this. This is not an exaggeration. We had ham in the house. They put the ham in the back of the fridge and covered it over with fruits and vegetables so she wouldn't see. <laughs> I was a happy little girl growing up in New Jersey in a Jewish family, we were conservative. I remember as a child going to a synagogue. The synagogue I went to, I didn't like it at all. 
It was like a big fashion show, and I felt really out of it. The men going through the prayer book, and you didn't even know where they were. And I didn't understand anything that was going on. It was all in Hebrew, which I didn't know. Am I on page 162, page 82? And if you asked, what is, where are we in the prayer book, and what are we talking about? The answer was, shh, quiet, quiet down. That's not a way to bring anybody into a relationship with God. Saturday morning, my dad got up. He was getting ready for work. I said goodbye to him, and I sat down by a window and watched his car disappear from sight. And that was the last time I ever saw him because he died suddenly of a heart attack. I remember even as a little child, seven years old, thinking, where did my dad go? And feeling like I had died with my dad. I figured something out myself. I decided I have to I have to talk to God about this. So at night when I would go to sleep, I would pray, please send my dad back. And then I would say the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I did it for a few months and then it became clear to me that God wasn't gonna send my dad back. And I just kind of gave up. So I was at this anti-Vietnam War demonstration against Nixon's policies in Vietnam at the time. And this woman walks up to me, who was very clean cut, and she didn't look like the rest of us hippies, and said, would you like to know something about the Bible or Jesus Christ? I said, no, and was very scornful. And off she went and off I went. God was not anywhere in the picture of my life at this point. I just was really into sex and drugs and rock and roll. So I went to the Bronx for this party. There were a group of people and it was a full-blown orgy. I had never seen anything like that. I had never participated in anything like that, but I joined in. After it was all over and I looked at what was going on, I felt disgusted with my soul. I felt so horrible for what I had participated in. Although I really didn't know why I felt bad. That's the truth. I did not know why I felt bad. I was hungry for some spiritual reality which I did not have. So I walk into this dance. It's a freshman orientation dance and out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy come across the floor. There was a song by the Rolling Stones that was playing over the air called Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar, and he's like, you know, he's got this, you know, look on his face. Had this keychain I was twirling. Next thing I know, he turns around, he comes back towards me. I am tan, my hair is blonde, my muscles are bristling. He's so full of himself. And I looked cool. Gosh, such a loser. I said, would you like to dance? All right, I'll dance with him. Nobody else has asked me to dance. So I get up and I start dancing with him and it's very clear to me that he is stoned out of his mind. I had to sort of sober me up a little bit that night. You know, I took him into the girl's room and I poured water on his head and he said, Will you be my girlfriend? Um, no, I have a boyfriend, it's okay. And my heart just, <whistles> I was really taken by her. We did a lot of drugs together. He took so much LSD, he, I was like, what is wrong with you? You're gonna blow your mind. But he, I think he wanted to. It was my drug of choice. He was doing this crazy dance, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I really like him. All of a sudden, I just fell in love with him as he was doing an acid trip and dancing in front of me. This girl who had met me at the anti-Vietnam War demonstration, I ran into her. 
we would take these long walks and she would try to explain to me why Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish people. She said, look, Doug, I would like you to read the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. I could not deny that the book was about a Jewish man suffering on behalf of the sins of the Jewish nation, a blood sacrifice that would cover for all mankind once for all. It's true. He's the Messiah of our people, even though we did not understand it. You know, the Bible says that God will take from you the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. If this is true, and I'm gonna believe this stuff, I'm gonna pay a serious price. All my friends are Jewish. My parents are Jewish. My grandparents are very Jewish. My quest for truth was more important than maintaining my ties with my friends. Doug was starting to search for God. I would share with her, and she didn't, couldn't quite accept it. Now, this was the craziest thing I ever heard. Who searches for God? I was attracted to the occult. Um, I had no interest in religion, but the occult was very fascinating to me. And I was starting to practice something called astral projection. Your soul body can come out of you and, and it does what's called soul travel. You can go anywhere and you can control people. And I decided to practice this astral projection. And everybody was asleep but me, and it worked. For the first time, I felt this part of me leave, but something else came into me that was dark and evil. And it spoke to me, not audibly, but kind of from within me. Good is evil and evil is good. And the only reason that you believe that good is good is because your mother told you that, but she doesn't know what she's talking about. Follow me and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. And I was scared. It was like this dark foreboding feeling. And I thought to myself, I have to get rid of this thing. And so I looked out the window and I saw a light out the window and I thought to myself, okay, I think light is good, right? And if I just keep my eye on that light, I will be okay. Maybe this thing will leave. And as I was looking at the light, it went out and I screamed. She was just panicking. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And I think I held her. And he said to me, okay, okay, let's, let's pray. Then we recited Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We got up out of the, off the mattresses, and as soon as I walked out of the house, I felt like the darkness left me. And I was mad. And Doug said to me, you gotta get rid of those occult books. Why are you messing with this stuff? This stuff is Mishagas. It's crazy. You know, it's not gonna get you anywhere. And you gotta start looking for, the, for God and for the good God. Not this evil stuff, this good God. And I was like, yes, yes, I will do anything. And he had a Bible for me. So I started reading the book of Isaiah. I got to chapter 30. It's like the ceiling in my dorm room started to open up. Something was being drawn back. And I'm reading these words. Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, 
Yet your teacher will not remove himself into a corner anymore, but your eyes will see your teacher and your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And at that moment, as I'm reading those words, it was like the presence of God came into my room and filled me with peace. And it was like he was saying to me, I was there. I was there when your daddy died. I saw what that was to you. I heard those prayers and I have been with you ever since then. And I, I love you and I want to be in your life. And I just got down on my knees and I just said, oh my God, it's Jesus. I knew who it was. Everywhere I went, I felt like God was with me. And I knew that he was never going to leave me or forsake me. He was going to stay with me. And, and of course, I, I ran and I told Doug. I was relieved that we'd be able to continue our journey together. Doug and Miriam's story shows us how powerful scripture can be and how awesome our God is. No matter what you have done or where you have been, you are never too far from his reach. Yeshua died so that each one of us can be redeemed and have everlasting life. All we need to do is accept his invitation and follow him. We hope today's episode reminded you that we serve an all-powerful God who cares about each one of us. None of the struggles we face are too big for him and he wants to help us face them with his strength. We want to leave you with these verses. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Abraham Vasquez, Grace Swee, Kyron Bautista, Neil Saraski, and ifoundshalom.com in partnership with One for Israel. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.